0: Welcome to the New England Football Show. I'm your host, John Serenitas, and as always, I'm joined by my compadres, Kevin Stone and Adam Kirkjan. And as always, we are sponsored by Block Builders, Gold Athletics, Dills Place, and Championship Award, guys. As always, you can also join the conversation. If you're watching live on Facebook, feel free to comment. Uh, You can either ask questions or share your thoughts on something. If you're watching on Twitter, Restream and Twitter are still at odds, but... If you comment in the tweet where the video appears, I can read your comments there. Well, it was a nice, relaxing week. The last time we did this, by the way, was a week ago. So not having the two nights of shows while our viewers are probably clamoring for some more football talk, and we'll have plenty of that stuff for you after the new year. um, It's it's, kind of nice from our standpoint to have a little bit of downtime, even though the thing with football is, and that's why I think it's so unique, in comparison to all the other sports is that there's really no offseason anymore i think i made mention of this last week that somebody at the super bowl is asking so what are you guys going to do now and it's like what are we going to do now there's plenty to do we're just not going to be covering games but we'll still have tons of content because there's always something going on at all three levels of football and so with that said let's just jump right into it patriots at the bye coming off the big win last monday night in buffalo Had the bye yesterday. They played this Saturday night in Indianapolis in what is now a huge game because the Colts, after what happened yesterday, are now in the playoffs. So this is a big game for both teams. But I want to start off with getting your your thoughts on where they're at at the bye. This is a late bye. Of course, part of it is, is because now they've added a week to the regular season. But where are they right now? Have they met your expectations? Have they exceeded your expectations? Have they fallen short of your expectations? Looking at where this team is coming out of the bye now, wh- where where would you assess they the, they're at in your opinion, Adam?
1: Well, they well it depends on when my expectations started. At the beginning of the season, I thought they'd be pretty average, and then at the beginning of the season when they went through those first few games and had some tough losses, I thought they were you know maybe a little bit below average. But they've won a bunch of games in a row. So they've exceeded my expectations for where I thought they'd be at this point. Um, I think part of me wishes for them. Part of me wishes for them that the bye wasn't here at all because they're playing so well coming into this next week, and you wanted to carry that momentum into it. But I, I don't think that makes too big a difference. Maybe that's just in my head. No, I don't well,
0: think it's in your head. I mean, you saw it last night with Green Bay; they were sluggish in the first half of that game against Chicago. And I, I do think there's something to be said for that.
1: Yeah. It's kind of like, you know, almost not wanting a bye for the playoffs because you go straight from the season into it and you carry it into it. Um, when I look at this week, this Colts game, I, I mean, I like this Colts team a lot um, just because of the way they, they play a lot like the Patriots in some respects and the fact that they, they, they use their running game. They got Jonathan Taylor, a great back out of Wisconsin who's really come alive. So um, I think this will be a, a a matchup between two similar teams. I think both of them are pretty good.
2: Yeah, I'm with you, Adam, for the most part. I mean, going into the season, I think they've exceeded expectations just because, again, they had a rookie quarterback. You know, we didn't right. know what to expect, really. And then when they're sitting at two and four, I don't think anybody expected them to do anything. Um, if anything, it was, you know, they were regressing and it was only going to get worse. So um, yeah, they've they've completely exceeded my my expectations both preseason and in season. But this weekend is just it's so interesting. Um, first of all, I love the Saturday games. Um, this time of year is it's one of the best things that the NFL does. But um, it's interesting. Josh Daniels talked today about how good Indy's defense is um, and really how much they turn the ball over. And I think that's just going to be so huge this weekend. You know, we thought Mac, <clears throat> excuse me, was going to get tested. Last week against Buffalo, we didn't see it. Now this is an even bigger test, I think, on the road against a team that can really stop the run. So um, it's a it's a fascinating matchup. I know we'll get more into it, but um, for where they are right now, I think they've exceeded expectations.
0: Yeah, I think that they've exceeded expectations. Although I thought they'd go twelve and five. I I I was very bullish on them. I said that in the preseason that I felt this was a team that could win twelve games, and, I, and I'm gonna stay with that I mean I I think that this is a team that can win three out of their last four and then the way they're playing right now they can win all four of them I mean look I know Indianapolis is pretty good but Indianapolis got off to a slow start they're one game above 500 they're tough at home they 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 will give you problems because they can run the football and they can stop the run but I still think when you look at the way this Patriots team is playing right now they've won seven in a row yeah they might come out A little slow on Saturday night coming off the bye. That's to be expected. They haven't played in two weeks. But this team has exceeded expectations, but not my expectations. I thought that if they stayed healthy and they managed the game for Jones, and I stayed with that 12-5 and prediction even after they named Mac the guy, I think if they were able to manage him and stay healthy, you knew the coaching was going to be there. Look, we've talked about this. I don't think a lot of people realize how good a job Belichick did last year. Going seven and nine with that roster, with Cam Newton coming off an injury, no OTAs, no offseason in a pandemic, to to squeeze seven wins out of that woman was pretty impressive. And so I'm not surprised that they're nine and four in the number one seed. And I know a lot of people will say, well, here comes Kansas City. They're finally putting it all together. And they are. They're. And I think a lot of it for them is their defense has been the catalyst in recent weeks, but now the offense is starting to, to get going again. Kansas City's Kansas City. They're really good. But I, I I love that matchup for the Patriots. We've seen it in the past. Obviously, a couple of years ago, they went into Arrowhead and won an AFC championship game. They should have beat them last year in the regular season there. I think they match up pretty well with Kansas City, even though you don't have Stephon Gilmore anymore in that secondary flexibility I still think that they can find they can play them. They, they they have the pieces to match up with them. So have they exceeded expectations? Yes, but I felt that this was a team that when you looked at the landscape of the AFC could contend, and here we are. They're contending. And, and look, outside of Kansas City, we could sit here and talk about this Colts team and how dangerous they are and this and that. If the Patriots come to play Saturday night, they should win this game. I, I, I'm not – this isn't false bravado. This isn't me being uh, um, an ass-kissing bandwagon jumper. This is me being honest. I think if they come to play, they should win Saturday night. It's really that simple. And then when you look at the rest of their schedule, they've you've already beat Buffalo. Buffalo is a wounded animal. They're desperate right now. Probably should have won yesterday. Some questionable officiating at the end of that game helped, helped Brady and the Bucs. But that being said, Buffalo's still talented. They can come in here and win, but I think the Patriots have their number. And then it comes down to you're going to be Jacksonville. They've already quit on Meyer. Meyer's quit on Meyer. And then you have Miami, which they're playing really good football. They've flown under the radar, and it's always tough down there. That might be the one game I could see them maybe dropping the rest of the way, but they're in really good position right now, fellas. And I think to me, they, they kick Tennessee's ass, and right now, as it appears, outside of Kansas City, Tennessee might be the only other team in the conference that could potentially be competition. I know people are going to throw out the Chargers, and they're always a sexy pick, but at the end of the day, it's really going to probably come down to Patriots-Kansas City again.
2: Yeah, yeah. I think yeah, – go ahead. No, I was just going to say, we have to remember that there's only you know one bye now, too. One bye,
0: and it's huge.
2: Yeah, if they can get home field, man. It just – it helps match. If if Mac doesn't have to go into Arrowhead, you know, and deal with those psycho fans, it's that's huge. So these next few weeks, again, they, they should clean up, but they need to take care of business because that that buy is enormous for them.
0: Well, in these next two weeks I think are are gonna determine whether or not they end up yeah. the one seed. Yeah.
2: yeah, I think it's
1: um you know, I, I think the most important thing for me for them is that they're playing well late in the season. And it just reminds you of so many Belichick teams that did that, that once they hit December, they started getting better and better. And I guess we'll see if that continues against the Colts, but they really feel like, you know, they run the ball. Well, Mac is efficient and the defense is opportunistic. If, if nothing else, you know, and, and they get turnovers and they capitalize, they're playing like a good team who knows how to help itself with the, with each part of the game, offense, defense, and special teams.
0: Yeah, and, and you're doing all that at the right time of the year. That's the thing. You, you want to be playing your best football of the season now, and they are. And, again, I know people do like to get ahead of themselves. We know that. That's just human nature in sports. But, of course, now you're hearing that the probability of a Patriots-Buccaneers Super Bowl, whatever. Listen, personally, I don't want that for a multitude of reasons. One – I'd rather the Packers get there in the NFC. Two, I don't want to see Brady in another Super Bowl in a Tampa uniform. And three, I think that that would be tough on Patriot fans to have to root against Tom Brady because I think a lot of people rooted for Brady last year to win it. Not I was, and I wasn't rooting for him to win. It. I was very open about that. I know Stone was tongue bathing him, but I wasn't. Um, but that's to be expected. Stone is a generic Boston sports fan, so that's. You know he is what he is. He just goes. He's a he's another cow that goes with the herd. But um, but at the end of the day, <laughs> at the end of the day, I like the face you made this, Stone. But at the end of the day, I think if if they continue to do what they're doing, they have a shot at getting there. But but let's not forget, we all know how this works too, right? You got to stay healthy. All it takes is that one or two injuries, and then the train can come off the track. So I think that's a big part of it. When you look at this team and you look at what Belichick did in the offseason, both in free agency and the draft, and it's well documented that, let's face it, his recent draft history has not been very good. But do you think what he did in free agency and in the draft, now that we've had a sample size to judge him on, do you think what he did this offseason erases some of what he did in recent years, particularly in the draft, Kevin?
2: Uh, Yeah, I think it has to. I think you start with Matt Judon. You know, you haven't had a guy like that that, Completely changes the defense for you in years. So since um, Chandler Jones, yeah, and I'm not sure Chandler Jones was that impactful. I'd say maybe Seymour. You know, since then, yeah. Um, yeah. So I think starting with him, he completely changed the defense. So uh, yeah, I think it's more so even for me, not necessarily about the team he built, but just how he's gotten everyone to buy in, especially the new guys. Everyone is drinking the kool aid right now. They're all. it, It feels like. Again, I hate this comparison. It feels a little bit like the old teams, like all one and stuff like that, mostly because of the buy-in to me. So um, the free agents that he's, he's brought in, there's something to be said for that, that he brought in guys that are willing to buy in. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah. I think um, for me it's the draft because he went through a real dry spell for a few years where he either made bad decisions or – Picks that would have been a lot better if he'd gone with somebody else, and it just seemed like this past draft, you know, Mac Jones, you got your franchise quarterback in the first round with the 15th pick, uh Ramondre Stevenson at running back, Christian Barmore at defensive tackle, and there's other guys too, but and even even from the one of the previous drafts with Duggar he's starting to come on too, so. It feels like, you know, you can't I, – I can't say you, you erase that, the other picks, because who knows what would have happened. But it, it, it definitely feels like he made up for some of his bad decisions or, you know, halfway decisions uh, with, with that.
0: Yeah, and I think a lot of it is is that he finally went away from business as usual this offseason. They had the cap space. They used it. They were in a pretty good spot because a lot of teams coming out of the pandemic – didn't want to spend some of the cap space they had. A lot of teams didn't have the cap space that they had, so they capitalized on that. And then I think the cherry on the topping was what he did in the draft, getting Jones at fifteen. And I know there are a lot of people that will say, "Oh, he fell to them. It's not hard." I don't. Who cares? He was there, and they took him. Okay. And, and then I think the other thing is, and I think a lot of people were critical of him at the time when he traded up to, tra- to draft Barmore, but he knew what he needed. And and then, of course, with Stevenson, look, you you take a running back in the middle rounds, it could go either way. I think that Stevenson's success is proof that you can really draft a running back in any round now. And if they're the right scheme fit, they're going to produce. And so I, I think he's made up for a lot of previous ills. But again, I think a lot of people around here that this is the fellowship of the miserable in many ways. And so I forget that this every other fan base in the league would kill to have a team do what the Patriots have done the last 20 years. But somehow the, 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 the introduced baggery of the Boston sports fan comes out and they can't help themselves. They have to complain about what Belichick has done, even though they've won six Super Bowls during that time span. It's just amazing to me, but it doesn't surprise me. It is what it is. Um, but yeah, I, I, I think, that he has erased a lot of previous mistakes, but it's also going to be how you finish, right? It's it's going to come down to what they do the rest of the season. So before we we start talking about him being coach of the year, executive of the year, and correcting all these previous mistakes, let's see how they finish before we really have that conversation. All right, you are watching the New England Football Show. I'm your host, John Serenitas. You can also listen to us on our podcast. This show is converted to a podcast. I'm joined, as always, by my partners, Kevin Stone and Adam Kirchin. And we are brought to you by Block Builders, Block Builders Built on Relationships. All right, let's pivot and talk a little Boston College football here. Of course, the Eagles accepted a bit to the Military Bowl, the vaunted Military Bowl, which will be played on December 27th in Annapolis. They will take on the East Carolina Pirates. They began preparations for the military bowl this past weekend stone you were there just your observations on the team the vibe you got there are, are guys excited to be playing in this game uh what did halfley say in terms of what the these 15 practices mean to the program moving forward
2: so it's funny you brought those up that's really the biggest thing for him um he is thrilled that they have more practices mainly just for the younger guys um they freshmen that they really didn't get to see you know play much this year and Um, It's funny, I wrote about this the other day as well. They had a bunch of already committed recruits um, on campus on Saturday morning. And just the the kind of juxtaposition between, you know, this team right now is still getting ready for a game, you know, to try and go win and finish seven and six. And you have other kids and their parents and and their families on the sidelines watching all this, you know, waiting to become kind of that next generation of BC. So uh, it's a really interesting time down there. Uh, there is definitely a buzz, not just for the game, but obviously Phil Dracovic coming back as well. Coach Hafley signing uh, his extension. There is definitely a sense of kind of, all right, hey, you know, hey, we want to get this win, but we have eyes on next year already. And um, a lot of things are being put in place for next year already. Uh, and Coach Halfley also talked about how much work has gone into recruiting, which I know we're going to get into um, a lot this week and tonight. Uh, but there's definitely a sense of, you know, just kind of turning the page, but also wanting to finish the right way for the seniors. It's a it's a very interesting balance over there right now.
1: Yeah, it seems like um, I feel like Halfley's a positive guy, and he brings positive energy and uh, and fosters it among his team when he can find it. But you're right, a lot of this stuff now is about the future. Get get these. Yeah. Get this good recruiting class on campus, get them up to speed, um, get, you know, uh, get your uh, you know, out there and and ready to play for the, for next season. Um, you know, they're going to lose some people, they're going to lose a good class, but I think this is another opportunity for BC coming up this next year to take another step forward. Hopefully that's eight wins at least. Hopefully that finally that eighth win they can get that, but um, but you you know I, I'm sure the, the players and coaches there have uh, heard that enough, but it it would be nice to see.
0: Yeah, it is. Look, the 15 practices are what matters to coaches. It's an opportunity to rep a lot of the young guys. You got to remember, this is also a tricky time of the year because you get a lot of the upperclassmen, particularly those that think they're going to get drafted. High that have been told that, hey, if you come out, this is where you could go. And if if you're a day one or day two pick, a lot of those guys in recent years at schools across the country have opted not to play in ball games. So it's an opportunity to see some of those guys off, start to play some of your young guys, practice them and play them in the game, and then really prepare for the next season. This is really what it's all about. It's not to say that they don't want to win the military bowl, because obviously they do. But I think this is more about 2022. And getting these younger guys ready to step in and fill some of these roles that are going to need to be filled as you go into spring ball and fall camp next year. So I think it has a ton of value, and that's why people outside of the football world don't get this. They, they'll never understand why a 6-6 six and six team is going to a bowl game. But the truth is they're going to a bowl game because it's an opportunity to get that additional practice time, but it's also an opportunity to send off your upperclassmen the right way by winning a bowl game. That there's a lot of value there. I think people look at it from a financial standpoint so much that they lose sight of the fact that it's good for the program to be playing in a bowl game like this, okay? Now, are the kids gonna love the fact that they're gonna miss Christmas at home, especially the local kids? Probably not, but hey, that's that's the, the proverbial price you pay to play in a bowl game, to get that extra practice time, to get that extra time on campus, especially if you're a returning player to get that opportunity to to develop a role so that you can be a factor on the roster next year. So uh, I think it has a lot of value from that standpoint. Now, of course, Wednesday is the first of two signing days. It's the early signing date, December 15th. Boston College is expected to get the majority of their class signed on Wednesday. Of course, this is a class that is highlighted by Sioni Holla, the safety out of California, Joseph Griffin, wide receiver at Springfield Central, he's the top local recruit. And uh, some other talented players in this class include R.J. Maryland, who played at South Lake Carroll in Texas. One of the things that impresses me with this class is that it's a really diverse class. I mean, they went across the country to add talent here. It wasn't just that they recruited you know, traditional places, New England, New Jersey, Ohio, the Mid-Atlantic, they really spread out here, going into California, going into Texas, and they added some high-quality talent. How much of that do you think is just halfly saying, hey, we need to become a national brand here? Or is it just that they finally realize that, look, talent's talent, and we got to go to different parts of, of the country to get it? Because as we've seen, Zay Flowers, for example, he was a Georgia kid. So just because Georgia or Georgia Tech or Auburn or Alabama don't love his flowers doesn't mean he, he can't get love from you and come here. So how important is it that they've been able to spread their wings, if you will, no pun intended, and recruit nationally?
1: Well, um, I think that sometimes schools, and I've talked to people who are in charge of recruiting boards and stuff like that, they'll say, okay, we're, we go from, you know, the Eastern seaboard of the northernmost part of the country all the way down to Florida. And we won't go West. We, we won't, we won't go to anywhere where we, we don't need to. Right. I just think this is halfly just casting a wide net and seeing what he, and just, I mean, to include Texas and in California, I mean, that's difficult because I mean, there's so many good players just down the Eastern seaboard, just down through Florida. If you wanted to do that, you could build a great team just on. Oh, those yeah. Alone. oh yeah. And teams have done that before, but you're right. They go into Ohio a lot. Uh, that, that's always been some of their stronghold, those parochials out in Ohio, like St. Ignatius and St. Edward and teams like that. Um, but I think this just speaks to the, the work ethic of the staff to, to go to cast such a wide net. And, um, you know, it's it seems like a good class on paper, um, and so I think they've done a good job. And I, I think with the early signing day, the the hope is to get most of your recruiting done for that first one, and not leave so much over for the second one. So I, I'm curious to see how many guys sign this week.
2: Yeah, and just to to that point, I saw earlier tonight there was a kid from Montreal, Quebec that's going to sign, you know, on Wednesday. Like, yeah, yeah. You know,
0: played at Loomis Chafee, Edwin yeah. Colenji. Yeah,
2: yeah, and so – so, He's he's like, a terrific
0: talent. He's he's a great fit in their defense as a weak side linebacker, and he and Griffin are the two centerpieces of their New England portion of their recruiting class.
2: Yeah, and granted, he probably saw him again at Loomis, but it just kind of speaks to how far they're willing to go right now to find names and find kids that, that want to help build this brand as well. And, and it's funny you mentioned, you know, just – Recruiting in general, Coach athlete the, the night of the um, Division One and Division Two state championship games, he talked about be, being in Georgia that morning, flying to Virginia later in the afternoon, and then making it back to Gillette for five o'clock. I don't think people realize just how much coaches actually put into this um, and oh, the not it's they insane. don't, and that, and I got to
0: tell you, that's the worst part of coaching at the college level. I think if yeah. if you talk to any guy who coached at that level and made the decision to jump to the pros, they'll tell you that the biggest reason they did that is recruiting, it, because it's so different than the NFL offseason. In the in the NFL offseason, you know that you're gonna, especially if you're not in the playoffs or you're or you were knocked out of the playoffs, you know that from January to April you're going to do your fair share of traveling you're going to go to different pro days work guys out you're going to go to the all-star games but it's kind of set up you know where you're going you know what you're doing you know when you're going to be on the road you know when you're going to be home with recruiting at the college level you're literally these guys are recruiting any every any opportunity they get every opportunity they get any downtime that exists in their schedule they're doing something with recruiting it's constantly about player acquisition and it's it's a grind, man. It's all right. You gotta love it to do it.
2: I yeah, know. Yeah, yeah. And just again, it, it speaks to how much this program is now willing, you know, to put themselves out there and make sure that they are being seen by the top names, you know, in the country. So uh just on Saturday, half blatantly said, I can't wait to sleep in my own bed for three days. <laughs> you know, like these coaches are grinding and you know so that's kind of kind of a forgotten part about Wednesday. Obviously, all the attention's on the kids and it should be, but there are countless people behind the scenes that actually, you know, get these kids on campus and, and help build this program. So um, I, I want to make sure that kind of get gets pointed out as well.
1: I, um, I was talking to an assistant coach once. It was maybe two years ago. It was before the pandemic. And he said we were talking about recruiting, and he said he wrote one particular recruit, a different letter each day for two years.
0: Yeah.
1: I, I can't imagine.
2: It's I mean, a good It's yeah.
1: incredible. It's, I mean, it's a, it's a, it's an incredible amount of work. And when you say John that, you know, that's the part that some coaches won't miss when they go to the pros or something. Exactly. I mean, write, writing a, a different letter every day to one recruit. I mean, it's, it's incredible. So, um, uh, And you're right. It's a courtship. It is. It's a
0: courtship. And unfortunately given, and we can get into this now, maybe we could use this as a segue, but given everything that's happening now with the transfer portal, it's a courtship, but it may be off or not because that kid may literally only be on campus for months. And they may say, you know what? I don't think this is a good fit for me. I want to either play closer to home or go play at my second or third choice and see you later. I'm going to, I'm going to enter the portal and whatever happens happens. And, it sucks, but that's the reality of it. That's why, for me as a coach, if somebody said to me, all right, John, you're going to have an opportunity to, to be a position coach either in the NFL or in Division One college. There are a lot of guys that would jump on college. Believe me, they would. Uh, not me. I would love to coach in the NFL over Division One college football for a variety of reasons. That's why this whole Urban Meyer thing is fascinating to me because it's like, dude, do you realize how great a gig you have there? There's no pressure. You have a supportive owner. You have total power. And and he acts like as if he's the only coach that's ever wanted to win. And in the process of acting that way, he's effed up the whole thing. And it's wow. like it blows my mind to to see that what's happening there. Because if you take Nick Saban aside and maybe a handful of other college coaches, it's hard to win in college football, guys. And you don't get the time you need to build a program anymore. If you're not if you're not winning within the first year or two, you're out of a job. Yeah. So unless you're, unless you're one of these blue blood program head coaches that can get that time because of previous success or your name, it's hard to be coaching at that level. It really is. And so that's why this whole Meyer thing in Jacksonville is so interesting to me. Now, that being said, you know, let's touch on the early signing day. And I know you're not a fan of it, Adam. Why?
1: Well, I feel like you, you touched on a lot of the stuff with the transfer portal. I just feel like if you're a coach, managing the roster is so much more difficult now than it was before. It's like a constant upkeep. And then there was the the year where you could repeat your year basically uh, because of the co- if you played during the COVID season. It just I don't I don't know if you're gonna have an early signing period. Wouldn't you have it further away than yes. just a couple of months?
0: I when agree
1: it, when it came out, I was like, well, yeah, this isn't that gonna change that much. I just I didn't I didn't I didn't like it. so um, I understand it it can be good for schools who have everything organized, who don't have too many people coming in or transferring out, and maybe you just get it done in December and it's out of your hair. but I just feel like it causes some problems and I don't know really what the solution is unless you want to have a different signing day it's all all the way in the summer or something like that. Not that that would be better, but I mean, who knows? I just feel like it seems like there's a lot of moving pieces for a coach to just settle on his roster. Uh, And and this, this doesn't exactly help.
2: Yeah. Adam, I'm glad you brought that up because coach Halfley talked about it on Saturday. Those other, the kids that got to stay the extra year, it made roster building much, much easier. Because he knew kind of what he was dealing with. That's not the case anymore. You know, yeah, there's already
0: been, Yeah,
2: yeah. So, I mean, there's already been a few guys that have that have left BC and jumped in the transfer portal. Uh, I think I saw John Muse was one of them. That um, just comes to mind quickly. I know Holy Cross. And Sean Asbury, a
0: cornerback that was yeah. highly touted. He yeah. entered the portal, I mean, which um, is a loss. You don't want to see those guys entering the the, the portal.
2: Right. I mean, even the kids like um, Derek Ng from Holy Cross. You know, one of the one of the better, kids, I'd say, in the country, maybe. Um, he went to the transfer portal, so for me, it feels like the NFL almost at this point. Like it feels like it's turning into free agency. Um, on uh, on the is. flip side of that, you take a you know, you take the Phil Jakovic scenario I, again. It's like the NFL where it's nice to know you have that quarterback because if you don't, well, then now what are you looking at? So uh, uh, another I,
0: quarterback uh, in the portal
2: because. <laughs> right.
0: Look yeah. at Quinn Ewers, but look at Quinn Ewers at Ohio State. I mean, five-star recruit out of Texas commits to Ohio State, gets gets the uh, NLI deal, and next thing you know, he's not even at Ohio State a year, and he's out. He just announced last night that he's going to Texas.
2: Yeah, it, it's not. So I, I think again, it feels way too much like the NFL right now. I'm not sure how this gets. Well, fixed. I think it's
0: worse than the NFL.
2: It's probably it probably is.
0: It, it um, is. I think it's way
2: better than the NFL, and I know you know. Halfley has said, "I don't want to live in the portal. It's not the right way to to build a team. He'd rather the younger guys. But at some point, like it's just, I'm not even sure where I'm going with the rest of this. But yeah, there's something, that, something has to, something has to change because it's just. But, but
0: and you're right, and you're right. But I don't think anything will change because no, no. here's the problem. I agree with you 100. percent But it won't change because remember now, what was the impetus for a lot of this stuff? Coaching movement, right? Well, the coaches get to move. And then the other and then the other factor in, in all this change was, well, these schools are making money hand over fist on the uh, TV deals and the advertising money. And these kids are putting in all these hours and they're not getting compensated. And all this other happy-go-lucky horse crap that bothers me because now all of a sudden if you go on Twitter, there's high school kids pitching shit. I mean, Mm -hmm. this is the world we're living in now. And I think that the biggest problem we're facing right now is that people, because we're living in such a radical world now where it has to be the one or the other, and yeah, I'm going to go there because it's the world we're living in. Because there's no common ground anymore, this idea that you needed to institute the transfer portal and them making money on their likeness and all this other stuff because of coaches moving and getting big contracts and because of the ncaa making money well it's great that you got that for the players but what you've done is you've created a wild west scenario now it's a mess college football is a mess right now and i don't know how you fix it because who someone's gonna have to sacrifice in order to fix this so who's sacrificing the schools the coaches or the players they're all self-serving so they're not going to sacrifice so All I right. think this is the world you're going to be living in. And I think yeah. what's going to happen, unfortunately, is you're going to continue to see more and more decisions being made based on money and greed, and it's going to be killing the game. But people don't want to see that. They don't want to face the reality that a lot of this stuff kills the game. When you look at a kid like Zach of the quarterback at Texas A&M, he enters the portal today. Why? <laughs> Why did he enter the portal? Now, it could very well be that Jimbo Fisher said, we're going to go in a different direction. I don't know. I'm not privy to that. But the kid had a pretty good year at A&M. He's being coached by Jimbo Fisher, who's a pretty good quarterbacks guy and offensive coach. coach. You're cutting your nose to spite your face. If you want to play on Sundays, you want to be in the best possible situation to, to prepare yourself to play on Sundays. And so that's why I think it's worse in the NFL. Because in the NFL, listen, you know free agency, player movement, coaching movement is a way of life. It's not supposed to be a way of life in college football. Yeah, the coaching movement's annoying. And gone are the days of the Woody Hayes and the Bo Becklers and the Gene Stallings and the Howard Schnellenbergers. But that doesn't mean that we need to upset the apple cart and turn everything upside down now and have, you know, a couple thousand kids sitting in a transfer portal and, and high school seniors now skipping their senior year in high school so that they can get on campus early and make money. Like, it's just insane. And no one – No one sits back and says, hey, you know what? This is not good for the game. How do we fix this? How do we placate both sides but fix this? No one's going to fix it because everybody has a hand in the the cookie jar. So why fix it? There's no point in fixing it because everybody's making money on it, right? So I don't know. I don't know how you solve this problem.
1: Yeah, I don't know how you solve it either, but definitely like the NLI stuff complicates it because you from Ohio state who's now transferring, he already had NL NLI stuff going before he stepped on the field. And he probably thinks, well, if I'm going to have to wait another two years uh, before the other quarterback leaves, then that's yeah, going to affect Stroud. that Stroud. Yeah. Uh, then that's going to affect my uh, NLI stuff. And yep. so he wants to go pull it somewhere where essentially where he get uh you know, start right away, and some somewhere where it affects his bottom line in a better manner. So I,
0: I hate to tell people, right? They don't care about the academic piece. The academics are negligible now; they mean nothing. He's just using whether it's Ohio State or Texas, he's just using the school to play football and make money. That's what you've done with amateur athletics now. Thanks a lot. You've yeah. ruined what it's supposed to be.
1: Yeah, it's uh, it's tough.
0: And, and, and you're never going to – I've had this argument with many people on radio, in person. You're never going to get people to understand why student-athletes shouldn't be paid. They're just – the people that support that will never understand it because all they're looking at is the money. The NCAA makes money. The schools make money. Yada, 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 yada. They never can get past the idea that it was never intended for these kids to go to school to make money. They're, they're getting paid in an education – and an opportunity to play at the next level, but that's not good enough because we don't. We live in a world now, fellas, and I don't care. I will politicize it. We live in a world now where it's never enough, and someone always wants more, and that's the problem. And and then I I don't think there's a solution here. I just don't see how you fix it. Go ahead, Snow.
2: No, just the other thing. We kind of I don't want to say forget, but timing-wise, the pandemic could not have been worse because now you have kids being recruited through Zoom and they're not seeing campus. Until they, you know, actually step foot on that. So if they're, they're, you know, being recruited and and agree to go somewhere through Zoom, and then they get to campus and either them or their family hates it, well, now it's just an easy excuse to to hop in the portal. So uh, I think timing-wise, that's been a huge factor as well.
0: And you know plenty about hopping in the portal after a long night of drinking. (laughs) <laughs>
2: well, well, we have to go there. And you wonder. you a
0: uh, lot well, <laughs> well, of
2: it's, it's just, it's been awful timing in that regard. Again, kids, yeah. if they're not seeing the campus, well, then you're like, I can walk on, not like, you know, whatever jersey combination they have set up for me. And now I don't want to go there. Like, well, kids,
0: so much of it, right. And so much of it, you know, and, and we just had a comment, you know, maybe they should go back to. Making them sit out a year—that's never going to happen. That's never going oh, right. <laughs> to that, happen because you can't have the transfer portal and that rule. It, it, it's they 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 negate each other. But the whole reason why the transfer portal exists is that reason. It's it's because kids didn't want to sit out a year, and you were punishing them, and you were preventing them from playing where they wanted to play. So that's why the transfer portal came about. So no, the answer is not to go back to the make them sit a year. That's it's not going to happen. So that's why I'm saying I just don't see where the solution lies right now because that's not an option. You know, now you've opened up Pandora's box. So the money, the the NLI money, you're not going back on that. So I don't know how you fix it. Unless you start, you say to kids, look, unless the NCAA literally decides to start paying them and saying you're going to be paid as professionals, in essence, you're not going to get that NLI money. But you're gonna get paid. And if you're doing that, then get rid of the NCAA. You might as well just be you might as well just set up a minor league organization that develops talent for the next level. Because what's the point of going to college at that point? Oh, I don't I you know. Yeah, it oh, is, man. it's a mess. And unfortunately, there's thousands, there's gonna be thousands of kids that are gonna get stuck in that portal with nowhere to play. And and it's not just division one, it's across the board. And they're not going to have anywhere to play. And then it's going to be, well, we thought this was the right thing to do by the kids, but it's not. So, again, kudos to someone like Nick Saban. It doesn't matter. Nick Saban, any, anything he touches turns to gold. He he will always find a way to skirt around things. But not every coach can do that. You are watching slash listening to the New England football show. I'm your host, John Serenitas. As always, I'm joined by Kevin Stone and Adam Kirchen. And we are brought to you by Gold Athletics. Visit goldathletics.net today to find a fundraiser that works for you and your program, and Matt Ross and his team will get you on the road to fundraising in no time. Now, sticking with recruiting, of course, UMass, Don Brown is starting to fill out his staff. He made two key hires this past weekend with the hiring of Voldemort Brower, the former head football coach at Springfield Central, as his defensive line coach, and Jeff Moore, was hired as tight ends coach and recruiting coordinator. Of course, Moore was the head coach at Loomis Chafee. He did a, did a great job the last two years of really uh, adding talent to the roster and turning Loomis into one of the power programs in the region. Just some thoughts on these hires. Why are these? Why did Brown hire these guys, and what is the significance of it? Adam?
1: I think uh, Brower is just a good coach. Uh, for as long as he's made Springfield Central a contender, there have been sort of people wondering when he's going to make the leap to the college level. Uh, you know, he was a great college player at UMass, and um, all American. Yeah, yeah, he was. Yeah, was tremendous. So, you know, he's great. And with more, I just think this guy's going to be tre- tremendous recruiting. Yeah. Like I,
0: you're already he, seeing it. Yeah, I
1: mean, you, you, he he's he's everywhere, man. He's a tireless recruiter. Um, and I think he's just going to be uh, good for them. And it's good to have young blood on the staff. Not saying you should have only one or the other, but it's good to have young coaches on the staff. And, um, yeah, I think those are both really solid hires. I I, uh, I can't find much fault with any of them.
2: Yeah, I think it's, it's just as simple as, you know, when, when they were first starting the hiring process before Don Brown, we talked about needing coaches in – and voices there that know the program and and want to see it succeed what better voices than these two guys yeah. um so i i think more so than anything it's just it's bringing those guys back into the fold that know how umass needs to not, not necessarily needs to to turn around but they know how hard the process is going to be uh, and so i think again those two voices just from that point of view are, are huge
0: yeah, they are huge. I mean, they're UMass guys. They played there. I mean, Brower was a terrific player. Um, they understand the landscape, to your point, Kevin. They, they understand the landscape at UMass. They understand what they're selling. Um, I think the biggest reason he hired them outside of the fact that they were UMass guys and understood the school was local recruiting ties. I mean, look, Springfield Central is a power program in the region, never mind just Massachusetts. There's a lot of talent there. And if you can hire someone that has a connection to that program, I think it's huge. And so Brower being a UMass guy, it was an easy fit to bring him back home. But on top of that, he spent the last 14 years in Springfield Central, building a powerhouse that in essence has won three straight state titles. So I think from his standpoint, it's a young man's game. And, and it's recruiting in particular is a young man's game. And I think it gives them an opportunity to, to bring in two coaches that have built power programs in the region that have done it through getting kids, whether it be Brower getting all the kids at the school to play that can help the program or or more down at Loomis getting kids to come to Loomis. Um, I think that they've done a great job of selling themselves and their programs. And as a result, Don Brown looks at this and says, well, they could do that for us. Uh, and I think the other piece that's important here is, is look, let's face it, under Walt Bell, they, they had no ties here. They had no in rooms, and, that, and that's not a disrespect to the kids that they did recruit here. What it means is, is that they weren't going to get more than they got, though. They were going to get that one or two kids a year maybe, but because of a variety of factors. Some of it was out of Bell's control, you know, the, the pandemic. They didn't really get to have that presence after year one in, in schools across the region where they can develop those relationships with the coaches. These guys have those relationships. Now, it'll be interesting to see because these guys aren't connected to Eastern Mass. Yeah, Brower was willing to play out here, and he knew Chuck Adamopoulos, and he knew John DiBiazzo, and he knew some of the other coaches, but he's not as connected in Eastern Mass as he is in Central and Western Mass. Obviously, that's going to change now, and Coach Brower, if you know him, has a presence. He's a no-nonsense guy. What you see is what you get. He's He's going to be a tremendous recruiter for them. Uh, that being said, I think Brown also looked at this and said, hey, we need to we need to get back into these schools and get and get boots on the ground in Massachusetts and in New England, because that's where we're going to really get a lot of our talent, even though UMass, the goal is to make it a national program in terms of recruiting. Initially, at least, it's going to be a lot of the local kids. And, and look, who, who are they going to get? Well, they're going to get those kids that might have gone to a Navy, that might have gone to a Colorado state. That might have gone to um,
1: to, to another
0: mid major program. Yeah, you know what I mean. So those are the kids UMass is going to be in the mix for, and I think that that's why ultimately hiring these two guys was a home run because they're going to help you close that gap. You know, you mentioned Moore. Moore's already at the ground running. He's already secured uh, a couple of commitments. So, and that's only the beginning. I think they're going to be pretty busy going into Wednesday. Uh, So this is where you're going to see Don Brown's impact. A lot of people have said to me, you guys are really bullish on that hire. Uh, Why don't you wait until he he and that staff coach a season? And I'm like, well, we're bullish on that hire because I think he's going to bridge bridge the talent gap. And that's what this program needs right now. So go ahead, Adam.
1: One of the things you, you talked about is exactly true. You want them to get a guy that went, maybe not goes to B.C., but goes somewhere else because like if you take a look at uh, Isaiah Likely. Yeah, like that's Carolina. a guy you
0: can't lose.
1: Yeah, you if you're if you're UMass and Likely doesn't have a BC offer, if you can get him to come to UMass, that's everything because he's gonna be in the NFL draft. Yeah. You know, um, or at least we think so, you know. So oh, and, he'll get drafted. Yeah. yeah. So um you know, if he goes to UMass, what What an effect that would have on the program. Uh, So, you know, Coastal Carolina has recruited Massachusetts really well. They got Josiah Our friend Corey
0: Bailey played a a key role in that.
1: Yeah, 100%. So um, those are the kind of guys that UMass has to get and keep in state.
0: Yeah. No, I agree wholeheartedly, and I think Isaiah likely is a great example. That there's a kid who BC didn't want him. And they weren't going to offer him. UConn wasn't going to offer them. Well, then if you're UMass, you should be able to compete for kids with UConn. Yes. And and if you're UMass, you should be in the conversation with a kid that's being recruited by BC. But now imagine getting a player like that, a guy that's a move tight end that can impact the game in so many ways, a guy that's probably going to be a day two, late day two, early day three pick in the NFL draft in April. That's a guy that could really help your program. And so – that's the hope here with Brown and bringing in Brower and Moore and whoever else he's going to bring in. The hope is that these guys can get that kid. They can get that kid to stay here because, again, you shouldn't be losing. I'll give you another name, and I'm not saying that if Brown were here earlier, he would have picked UMass over Syracuse. But a kid like Terry Lockett out of Springfield, oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah. another a kid like that, where when you're competing against a Syracuse, a program that has struggled in recent years, even though Dino Babers has tried to turn it around, that's a kid you could potentially get if the right coach is at UMass. So again, I think if they could find a way to get those kids to stay, that's how you're going to get this thing back on track. Of course, one of the other things that came up was that the administration is supporting efforts to try to get into a conference. That's easier said than done. We saw that play out a couple of weeks ago with Conference USA. I, this is, this stuff is just mind-numbing to me. I'm not even going to get into any potential conference they could get into, not get into. It just it drives you crazy. It's it's you could do a whole show on it, but uh, but apparently the administration there supports that. You are watching slash listening to the New England Football Show. I'm your host John Serenitas. as always. I'm joined by Stone and Kirchen, a couple of other things. And before we do that, by the way, I want to take a second and thank Dill's Place, Dylan Muse, one of the most talented dudes around. Christmas is two weeks away. If you're looking for that special gift, then you need to visit Dylan's Etsy page. He's got some really cool stuff on there. Go on there, find something you like, and give that to someone special. It'll be unique. It'll be different. Visit Dylan's Etsy page for some great gifts and gift ideas today. A uh, couple of other things real quick. E.J. Perry today was named the Bushnell Cup Offensive Player of the Year in the Ivy League. That is an incredible feat considering the Bears win 2-8. and eight. But it just goes to show you how impactful of a player he was. And I covered them three times this year. I loved watching that kid play. He's going to play in the East-West Shrine game. I think he has a future on Sundays. I think he's one of those guys that has the makeup, the athleticism, the arm strength, where he doesn't have a tremendous skill set across the board, but he does everything well. And I think – that's the kind of guy that can carve out a nice career for themselves in the league as either a spot starter or a possible backup. I think he certainly has the talent to go into a situation where if he's there, he can compete for a starting job. But I think it's a tremendous honor to win that award on a 2 and 8 team. It speaks to how good they were offensively, and it speaks to how good he was.
1: Yeah, he's heck of a player, especially going back to his days at Andover. He's a wrecking, one-man wrecking crew.
0: He really um, was.
1: I mean, I mean the guys at BC always told me that if he wanted to, he probably could have started on defense somewhere, like as a safety. Yeah. That tells you how athletic he is. Yeah. Um,
0: and tough. Yeah. I, I got to tell you, one of the things that impressed me with covering EJ this year was just his toughness. I mean, because his – look, James Perry runs a great scheme. I mean, schematically, Brown offensively is, from a coaching standpoint, as well coached as any – Team in the Ivy League, in my opinion, and he wasn't afraid to run his nephew. He ran him and he ran him downhill, and they did some different things with him. So, I think that that's why EJ, in my opinion, has a potential future on Sundays because that blend of athleticism, that high IQ, that accuracy, that anticipation—he takes care of the ball. He has he has good arm strength. It's gonna—we'll see if we can call it plus arm strength, but he definitely has. He can make every throw in the book. To me, he has a lot of those qualities that you want in a quarterback that you're going to want in your room.
1: Yeah, he – it's funny. um, I'm not saying he's as good as this guy. But when he plays, his style of play reminds me of uh, Kyler Murray in terms of somebody who can run around, strong arm, good athlete, makes plays outside of the pocket. Are you
0: saying he's as good as Kyler Murray?
1: (laughs) Yeah, no. But – but yeah, I just I, I he's he's just a playmaker, and it, yeah. you're you're right. The NFL is moving more towards that, yeah. Uh, yeah. So I'm sure he'll he'll be able to find a place somewhere.
2: Just uh just to that point, I actually saw Ben Volan did something today where so Brown has never had a quarterback in the NFL apparently, which I did not know. Um, and just based off what you two are saying, does he have kind of the the staying power? I guess obviously it's it's too early to tell, but do you guys both think he can? Kind to last
0: in a week? Yeah, I do. I do because I think that the intangibles, he's smart, he's tough, he's accurate, he takes care of the ball. I mean, he has had his moments. I say he takes care of the ball. He has had his moments. But you got to remember, they were playing from behind a lot. So quarterbacks tend to force the ball and press more when they're playing from behind. Um, so he does have his moments where he, he can make better decisions. And he would tell you that the great thing about EJ and I've interviewed him is that EJ will shoot, shoot you straight. He's not the kind of kid that's going to tell you what you want to hear. What you see is what you get with him. That's why he was such a pleasure to cover. Um, So yes, I, I think he has staying power. In my opinion, I think EJ is the kind of guy that could step into a situation, be a spot starter and a, and a, and a career backup and play in the league for eight to 12 years. And, 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 carve a a nice little career for himself i think he has he does the things you need quarterbacks to do especially guys that may not necessarily be your starter he does those things well and that's why i think he could potentially have staying power so all right real quick before we wrap this up let's uh let's pivot over to high school football and uh before we do that though i do want to thank ken nally and his team over at championship award guys Ken has sponsored the Coach of the Week and the Player of the Week for us this year. It's been a tremendous honor. We've gotten a lot of great feedback on that. We still have the Super Bowl Coach and Player of the Week and the Coach and Player of the Year awards to give out. Those are going to be coming out in the very near future. But again, we want to thank Championship Award guys. Ken and his staff do a tremendous job. They are the region's leader when it comes to trophies, plaques, rings, you name it. If they can make it, they will. And not only that, Ken is one of the best people you're going to meet. I've known Ken for a long time. I've coached against Ken for a long time. Hawkeye guy like myself, coaches at North Attleboro. Uh, He's just a class act and he does so much for high school sports in the area. I can't say enough about championship award guys. They're the best and they've been very good to us. So uh, if you're in the market for trophies, plaques, rings, whatever it might be, if Ken and his team can produce it, they will. So, Check out their website and check out some of the stuff that they do. Um, Along those lines, we do want to remind coaches out there that we would love to have your nominations for our All-State teams, which are going to be coming out after the new year. Uh, So feel free to send any players you want to nominate to John, J-O-H-N-E. Hold on. J-O-H-N-E-W-F-T-B-J. At gmail.com. I probably screwed that up, by the way. But <laughs> email us or DM me. It might be easier to DM me because I just had a dope moment and I forgot my own email. Uh, but it might be easier to uh, DM us. But get us get us players you want to nominate. Uh, we want to do our due diligence to ensure that, we're, um, that we are representing all of the great players in the state and giving them the recognition that they deserve. So please feel free to get us your nominations in today. With that being said, let's really quickly. I want to wrap up the show this week by talking about some players to watch next year, because we've talked so much about the playoffs and the system and, uh, you know, the controversy with, you know, CM and all this other stuff. Well, let's, let's take a minute here and focus on the kids. Who are some players that you guys are excited about seeing next year? Uh, I know for me, the return of Joan Aguero at St. John's Prep, I, I think is, is awesome you got jesse O'Fury there i think they're going to be really good if they could figure out a quarterback they're always going to be able to run the ball under brian st pierre but if they can find that quarterback that skill group is going to be as good as any in the state
1: yeah um i think those are good ones obviously jonell is as talented a kid that's going to be coming out of this state uh as any lately he's going to
0: probably be a fight by, by the time it's all done he's a five-star kid well much.
1: I think currently he is a five star. He player. is a five he is, yeah. Well, so, I mean, uh I mean, this might seem like like an obvious choice, but I can I cannot wait to see what a senior year William Watson looks like for Springfield yeah. Central. I mean, the guy was so good this year. He, he exceeded all my expectations and now he's going to have, you know, one more year with with good receivers again. So, um, Yeah, it'll be great. And I think – and, again, all those CM guys, you know, Detrell Jones, Carson Harwood, you know. He just got his first
0: offer the other other day from URI.
1: Which is a great offer. I mean, URI is a heck of a program. It is far from his last one, though. Uh, And he had a great season. So I can't wait to see all these guys who are coming into their senior year.
2: Yeah, I mean, you guys touched on most of them. Oh, Fury! For me, I covered St. John's Prep. I think three times last year. He was entertaining as hell every time. Uh, he's he's he might be the best receiver in the state next year. Uh, but in terms of for me, it's more about the teams. Um, you mentioned CM. Obviously, I want to see you know what they do next year. John, you you appreciate this? I'm I'm curious to see what King Philip brings back next year. Um, I think King Philip and Milford and and North Attleboro in that Hockamock League. Uh, we said you say it every year. I'm now kind of um kind of warming up to the idea of it, it's the hardest league in the state i think so i'll be curious to see oh, kind of is. just yeah. kind of what that what that looks like next year in terms of the back and forth and then um again it's it's far too early to start talking about it but just the statewide playoffs again um after this this first year yes some teams got screwed and, and didn't get in but i think overall and we talked about this a lot we got a ton of great matchups and I think everybody was pretty happy with with ultimately the teams that were at Gillette. You know, we talked about every game being being competitive, and um, I'm already interested to see kind of if a lot of those teams that were there can kind of hit the reset button and and make that charge again.
0: I'm more excited about the quarterbacks coming back. I mean, you have you obviously, have, you know, you have uh, J.C. Petrangolo at CM. You have James Murphy at Redding. Um you have um, Landoffy and Hanover, Matt Festa and Duxbury. I mean, there's a lot of quarterback talent coming back. And, and I think it's going to be fun to watch these guys sling it because if if we think that those guys put up big numbers this year, they, they're they poised to put up even bigger numbers next year. And, then, and there's more names. There's more quarterbacks out there that I think are going to be worth watching. Chase Forsoli took a big step at North Attlemore. He's another kid to watch. He's only going to be a sophomore. So I, I think that – the quarterback development is is going to be worth watching. I'm excited to see what the next, you know, what step, you know, obviously you mentioned William Watson. He's going to be the number one quarterback in the state, but there's another quarterback in the region, Dante Reno down at Loomis Chaffee. I'm curious to see where, what direction they go in from a coaching standpoint. I want to see what, you know, what steps Dante takes. Uh, there's a lot of good quarterbacks out there. I'll give you a name of a kid that a lot of people don't know that I, Obviously, I have intimate knowledge. I've coached him. Tommy McCleitia King philip is a kid to watch. I mean, he's Tommy's 6'3, probably about 185, 190 pounds. By next year, he could be pushing 200 pounds. He can sling it. And he's he's a name to watch. So um, he's gonna be a junior. So there's a lot of quarterback talent in the state, and I'm and I'm missing guys. But off the top of my head, I'm excited to see the development of those guys, including William Watson. And as always, I'm, I'm curious to see what next quarterback is Ian Bain going to pull out at Franklin. Every year, he's such he's such a good coach at developing quarterbacks that I'm curious to see what he's going to have next year because you know that he values, he places a premium on the position, and so you know that that development is constant there. he will have another kid that will step in and play at a high level like Jared Aroni did. He does it every year. And by the way, what's impressive about Ian is, is that these aren't kids that are stepping in as sophomores. Or in many cases, even as juniors. These are kids that are stepping in as seniors and playing. So they're waiting their turn, and he gets a lot out of them. So yeah, it's 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 gonna be fun. There's a lot of talent, of course. We're gonna be covering a lot of that talent from every angle, whether it be recruiting. You got a kid like Preston Zinter, who's gonna be a senior next year at Central Catholic. Preston obviously is one of the most highly recruited kids in the state. Um so it'll be, we'll, we'll be covering it from a recruiting standpoint, a combine standpoint, a camp standpoint, a seven-on-seven seven standpoint. We're going to make sure that um, our our players in the state of Massachusetts and in the region get, get, get the recognition that they deserve. Well, that'll do it for this week's show. As always, I want to thank our sponsors, Block Builders, Gold Athletics, Dills Place, and Championship Award guys. I also want to thank my partners. Kevin Stone and Adam Kirchen. For those two fine fellows, until next week, peace.
2: See ya.